Um, so for those who don't know me, my name's uh, Stuart or Stu or Stuart, as my Northern Irish mother will call me, and anybody else that wants to scare me, basically. Um, and I'm one of the key leaders here. Um, yeah, today we're going to talk about suffering. And <laughs> yay! Um, but I was thinking about this last night. Um, this is not about suffering like I experienced yesterday evening when my 17-year-old daughter took her daily pummeling of me um, in her box, with her boxing gloves. Um, it's not that kind of suffering. We're going to talk about suffering that affects us all during our lives. And it's part of our series today on recapturing wonder. And my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would unlock a fresh revelation of Jesus that is beyond the simple words that I can bring. Um, that for some of us, we're living in this mess of suffering right now. For some of us, it's in the past. And maybe something will help us unpack stuff that's happened in the past. But for all of us, there will be seasons ahead as we kind of go along in life. Acts, we face suffering, that maybe there's something that we need to store away. None of us are immune from suffering. And throughout the Bible, we see characters who show us so many different sides to suffering. In the Old Testament, you get this, there's a whole book called the book of Job. It's pretty depressing, to be honest. It's not the nicest read. It's relentless catalogue of disaster after disaster after disaster. Then you have this character later on, this guy called Elijah, who most of us remember his mountaintop experiences if you read about him. But then he has these deep valley lows. He even gets to the point of being suicidal. In the book of 1 Kings, this is just a little glimpse of somebody in the Old Testament, Elijah. He was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. So in the Bible, we see stories about people who are suffering both physically Mentally, emotionally. Even the Psalms, which a lot of the songs we sing, have glimpses from those Psalms, words from those Psalms. They open us that our relationship with God is not necessarily clean and sanitized, but actually it's messy. And today, we're going to look at Jesus. Jesus himself gets suffering. He experiences it. Even before what we look at today, Jesus understands grief. The pain of seeing his best friend die. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible shows Jesus gets it. He even carries other people's physical pain as they approach him for healing. You can't not. And he knew that where his journey was leading him to. But my disclaimer this morning is I'm not going to come up with nice, neat answers. So if you expect nice, neat answers, I'm afraid I can't do that. I'm not sure there is nice, neat answers. My own personal experience of suffering is not at any level 
that many of you have faced or even facing now. Suffering is in this world because of brokenness, because of sin. And it's not part of God's design. Because he stepped down into this suffering to be with us, to journey with us. But I'm not going to go into a big theological debate about suffering. But I want to hone in on Jesus' journey to the cross, which is where we've been looking at over the last few weeks. And we're going to briefly touch on three things. We're going to touch and think about the seen and the unseen of suffering. We're going to think about disappointment and desperation in suffering. And we're going to think about the wider narrative of suffering. Let's pray. Yeah, Father God, thank you that you sent Jesus into this world to experience everything that we feel and go through. And Holy Spirit, today, would you reveal to each one of us what you want to say personally and together? That we would learn what, from what Jesus experienced and take that stuff and to shape us as we go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have a read of um, Mark 14. Uh, if you want to find it in your Bibles, we're going from verse 32, or if you've got an app, or it'll appear on the screen as well. So Mark 14, verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The intensity is increasing in Mark's gospel. As Jesus is getting close to the time where he's going to be crucified. Just before the bit that we're looking at this morning, the disciples and Jesus shared a meal together. We might call it the Last Supper. And Jesus just let his disciples know that they will disown him when things get tough. To which Peter responds in verse 31 of this same passage, even if I to die, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. The rest of the group add their agreement. I can imagine Jesus doing a roll your eyes thing inside, obviously, because it's passive aggressive to outside. 
the very next thing that they all do is they go to this garden of Gethsemane. So Gethsemane is a place. It's an actual place just east of the Temple Mount area in Jerusalem, across the ravine of the Brook Kidron, and on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. It's surrounded by olive trees. Gethsemane actually means olive press. It's a place where olives from the neighborhood were crushed for their oil. And so we see Jesus is moving intentionally into a place of actual physical crushing. He's in Gethsemane, the place that is where the olives are crushed. And he himself is journeying towards an actual physical crushing. We see that he's experiencing intense pressure, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. It's nighttime. He grabs three of his most energetic disciples, Peter and the sons of thunder, as they're sometimes called, James and John. And he asks them simply one thing, one favor. Stay here, keep watch with me. Sure, no problem, Jesus. We are ready to die for you. Then they nap. Meanwhile, Jesus is crying out to his father. He's having the prayer session of his life. He doesn't want to do what he's about to do, go to the cross. But he yields his desires to, his, to God. He doesn't just say it a little while later that evening. He actually does it. So in Gethsemane, Jesus opens his heart up in a complete honesty before his father, asking for an alternative plan. And all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, knew it was vital to include this time of prayer and wrestling. They didn't feel the need to paint a picture of a saviour who faced the cross without fear. Sometimes that's the picture, the sanitised version that we get. The Bible doesn't do that. They don't paint a picture of a saviour who faces the cross without fear. And we get a glimpse of suffering that is unseen and seen. We catch a glimpse of some of the emotional, the mental challenges that Jesus was going through. He entered the garden, went to pray, like he had done many times before in different places. He went to solitude places. But this wasn't an ordering night. He was deeply troubled and distressed, as it says in verse 33. Now, experts in, of the Greek word for tr- troubled means, say that it means to be overcome with horror. That's not how I picture troubled. If I'm feeling troubled, I don't quite feel that overcome with horror. In Luke 22, it's, in the version of this narrative in Luke 22, it says about Jesus, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground it's that kind of intensity that's a, that drops of blood apparently is a really rare condition a physical where under great physical and emotional stress what jesus was facing is actually not just physical torment coming up but emotional torment he knew his body would be facing agony but his soul was facing far more because he was about to be separated from his father. 
in verse 35, we read, he fell to the ground. He kind of stumbled, he fell. He was in this kind of intensity. Apparently in those days when people prayed, they stood. They lifted their hands to heaven. But in times of severe distress, they would lie flat on the ground. King David in the Old Testament, when his child died, in 2 Samuel 12, it says, David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted, he spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. Jesus fell to the ground. He was in that amount of distress. He cried out, Abba, Father, anything is possible. Take for you. Take this cup away from me. And you may have heard before, or may not, that that... that affectionate Arabic term for father Abba he, he asked if there was any way that this mission that he was on earth for could be accomplished in any other way could that cup of suffering be taken away he was still heading towards a cross yet with all this unseen mental and emotional trauma that was happening that he was experiencing, Jesus then says, yet not what I will, but what you will. He chose to trust his father. Amid pain, anxiety, extreme, emotional exhaustion, he chose his father's way, not his own. And that wasn't weakness. That wasn't weakness. That showed incredible courage and strength. Praying your will be done means we are out of control. But God is in control. We're saying that we are not choosing our own path. We're not going to go our own way, but we're going to trust God. We're going to trust God whatever happens. For Jesus, this meant suffering the cross, the agonizing pain of the cross, both physically and separation from his father. For us, it means letting go. And letting go when it doesn't make sense. We don't understand the why. Following Jesus, resting in his God's love, admitting brokenness, Allowing him to hold together all of our stuff. That's what it means to say, yet not what I will, but what you will. That's the unseen of suffering. The scene of suffering can be physical pain. It could be broken relationships. It could be injustices, both individually, but together on a wider global scale. Jesus gets his stuff. He feels it and journeys with us in this. But let's be honest, finding ways to connect like that is quite hard. Because sometimes when we are really struggling, when we are in that kind of intense place of suffering, our our minds, our, our lives feel really foggy. The pain sometimes is so unbearable. But he gets it. He is there. 
in our prayers, we might be trying to connect with God and we're expressing a tension, maybe a tension of disappointment, of desperation. He gets it. We've seen in this one situation, he gets it. I've never sweated blood. I've never experienced that kind of emotional trauma. He gets it. In the middle of um, the genocide of World War II, a Jew was hiding, um, who was in hiding, scrawled on his cellar wall in in a Nazi concentration camp, these words, this poem. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. And I believe in love, even when there's no one there. And I believe in God, even when he is silent. I believe through any trial, there is always a way. But sometimes in this suffering and hopeless despair, my heart cries for shelter to know someone's there. But a voice rises within me saying, hold on, my child. I'll give you strength. I'll give you hope. Just stay a while. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. And I believe in love, even when there's no one there. But I believe in God, even when he is silent. I believe through any trial, there is always a way. Maybe there someday be sunshine. May there someday be happiness. May there someday be love. May there someday be peace. Someone who experienced suffering in a way that probably many of us have never experienced in a Nazi concentration camp wrote those profound words. And I think that one of the biggest struggles most people have with praying that kind of way is dealing with the disappointment. We're in the desperation bit, but dealing with the disappointment. So shall we go there? Shall we not? Oh, The Bible is so much more honest about this than churches. Sorry. The Bible is far more honest about dealing with disappointment and desperation than we are. We've already seen it in Elijah's life. That glimpse into his life. We've seen it in Jesus' own wrestling. Too often in church we feel we have to pretend But we see in Jesus' desperation, he's pleading. He knows what's ahead. He's breaking up inside. It's overflowing. He turns to his closest friends because he's struggling with desperation, with all the disappointment. And then he has to wrestle with them because they've nodded off. He's dealing even more another level of disappointment that those closest to them to him have nodded off he's dealing with loneliness in there it looks like it's going to spill over because three times they fall asleep they were present but not present and Jesus is wrestling internally with disappointment desperation And we see the humanity of Jesus. God with skin on. Yet we see the humanity. There's a prophecy in Isaiah 53. 
that is starting to unfold in this situation and that continues to unfold in verse 3 of Isaiah 53 it says he was despised rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain like one with whom people hide their faces he was despised and we held him in low esteem that whole passage of Isaiah 53 is starting to unfold in this situation and ongoing in the next few days. Jesus gets it. Whatever you are thinking, felt, feeling now, whatever you're reflecting on that's happened in your life in the past, or even the fears of the future, Jesus gets it. Pete Gregg, who is a writer, speaker, he's kind of, we've quoted maybe from him before, he once said this about the agonizing experience of watching his wife suffer from a brain tumor. He said, one of the things that I had to learn was that silence and absence are different. There are definitely times when God chooses to be silent and it's tempting to assume he's absent. But St. John of the Cross, a Spanish Catholic priest, taught us that seasons of silence can be actually times of spiritual growth. When God's word gets muted, a living faith can be reduced to a sort of bloody-minded resignation to things we once knew for sure. But although Bible verses may seem dry, it doesn't make them less true. They still convey Christ, the word of God to us. If sailors can still navigate by the light of the stars that no longer exist, we too can stay true to the things we once knew were true. My advice is this, believe your beliefs, doubt your doubts, and don't get isolated by disappointment and pain. My heart was breaking and my ears were ringing in the silence. But the love of friends still remained the hope of glory. And as I come to land this morning and finish, I want to recognize that because Jesus understands and feels our suffering on a personal level, he also gets it on a together level. He invited his, his disciples into this journey. They didn't have a clue what was going on. Their humanity actually makes me feel okay. Because I probably would have nodded off too. If I was under that intense situation... And their humanity makes me feel okay when I really don't know how to respond to other people's suffering. In verse 40 it says, when he came back he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Sometimes that's okay. Journeying alongside people's suffering in seen and unseen ways also can affect you. Someone once said that it's like secondhand smoke. You take on that suffering and some of the side effects too, especially if you walk really closely. As a church family, over many years, I've been part of church for quite a few years. I won't say how many years because others will go, gosh. As part of church family, we've journeyed with, some pe with people who've had huge suffering in their lives. And God has pulled us together as church family to be practical, 
to be prayerful, to be empathetic, to be compassionate, to be listening, to be a waiting in the mess with them kind of family. That means we look out for each other. I invite us to do that better. To do that together. Because that's what Jesus invited his disciples into this journey. Then that's the model we go with. And we're going to share communion in a minute. Before we do, I want to read this story. Of, about a guy called Horatio Spafford from 1873. He was a successful Christian lawyer and businessman in Chicago. He was married, had five children. As Horatio hit the pinnacle of his profession and financial success, things changed. It began with the tragic loss of their son. Not long after that, there was the great Chicago fire. It destroyed nearly every real estate investment that Horatio owned. Then a few years later, in 1873, Horatio decided to treat his wife and daughters to a much-needed escape from the turmoil. He sent them on a boat trip to Europe with plans to join them after he'd finished wrapping up his business in Chicago. A few days later, he read he received a dreadful telegram from his wife, saved alone. It bore the excruciating news that that family ship had wrecked and all four of his daughters had died. So Horatio straight away got on the next boat and was off to see his broken, heartbroken wife in Cardiff in Wales, just over the bridge. And when passing over the same part of the sea that had just claimed the lives of his remaining children, he put pen to paper and wrote these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like a sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's sing it. When peace like a river death my way, when sorrows like sea Whatever my love, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. you teach us teach us Jesus to be like you to not hide from suffering 
to wrestle with it, to bring others in the journey, in the seen and the unseen. That we may get to that place, whatever our lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. We bring our lives to you. We bring the pain and the suffering that we experience or have experienced. Those close with us. And in this moment, as we share communion together in a minute, we bring that to you, to the cross. Where you experience that trauma. Emotional, spiritual, physical trauma. And you did that for us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name.